Hello and welcome to the Ore of Greatness, episode 1.2, Alta Gracia. Last time we left off with the birth of Che Guevara in Rosario, Argentina. This time we'll pick back up there and journey through Che's youth in the city of Alta Gracia. The Guevara family lived in Alta Gracia from 1932 to 1944, or from the time Che was four years old until he was 16. Throughout Che's life, he would be affected by issues with his lungs. Generally, this was in some way related to his chronic asthma, but his first episode of lung issues did not feature the main villain. Instead, shortly after his birth, while his mother was still recovering from childbirth, the newborn Che contracted bronchial pneumonia. He would recover with no telling lasting effects, but it did keep the family in Rosario for a slightly extended amount of time. After then visiting their family in Buenos Aires, the Guevara's returned to the plantation in the Missones. Guevara Lynch was now determined to make a serious attempt at turning the green gold that was the Yerba Mate into actual gold. As fate would have it, the plantation was never as lucrative as Guevara Lynch wanted it to be. But he did garner a positive relationship with the locals, and even, after, and even years after the family had moved on, he was described as a good man. He gained that reputation by being different from the other plantation owners in the area. The more densely populated areas of Argentina had been more or less modernized in terms of industrialization and labor conditions of the day. But in the rural Missones, the plantations often operated on a system of labor bondage. The local, primarily Guarani Indian laborers, were given binding contracts and low wages. Instead of cash, they received private bonds that could only be used at overpriced plantation stores. It created an impressive patron system in which the laborers could never work their way out of debt and were doomed to work their whole lives in backbreaking labor for a year but barren. The system has been called virtual slavery, and the nasty details have been described in several books and a few movies. To give a more comical example of the system, though, those of you who have seen Malcolm in the Middle, it is similar to the system that, that the eldest brother, Francis, was forced to work under during his time in Alaska. No matter how hard he worked, how many hours a week he worked, or how humiliating the work was, at the end of the day he still owed money to his employer, Lavernia, and was forced to continue his work no matter how much he complained and wanted to leave. One of the ways the plantation barons controlled the laborers was to pay them not in cash, but in private bonds. The private bonds could only be used at the plantation stores, which kept the money in-house and allowed them to gouge the laborers with ridiculously overpriced goods. This trapped the laborers at the plantation and ensured that no matter how hard they worked, they could never turn a profit or go a year without working the plantation. Guevara Lynch, on the other hand, refused to continue business as usual in the region. He still hired the local laborers, but he paid them in cash. The wages were probably still not astronomical, as he still had to turn a profit, but the cash wages allowed the laborers to shop around and made their dollars go further to providing them with the necessities of life. In March 1929, Celia became pregnant again, and the family decided to hire a nanny to help look after Che. The nanny, named Carmen, would work for the family the following eight years and become a lifelong family friend. With someone helping her with the children, Celia resumed her habit of swimming daily. Toward the end of 1929, the family headed to Buenos Aires in order for Celia to give birth and extra comfort and security. The plan was originally to return to living in Missones after the birth and recovery, but the family would never return to the plantation. Instead, after Celia gave birth to a daughter, who was also named Celia, in December 1929, the family stayed in the area. Guevara Lynch had to literally put out a fire with the yacht building company in which he had previously invested. The company was going through some financial difficulties due to the ineptitude of Guevara Lynch's business partner or through the combined disinterest from both Guevara Lynch and the business partner. Each felt they had more important things to work on and put the yacht building company on the back burner. 
The financial difficulties turned into a disaster when a fire destroyed the shipyard. You may be thinking, oh, I've heard this scam before. But unfortunately, Ernesto's business partner had let the insurance lap, and just like that, Ernesto's investment had went up in smoke. He was left with nothing but a launch and a single yacht. Over time, that capital would provide some yearly revenue, but never at the level he had planned or nowhere near the level that would match his initial investment. 1930 continued to be a disastrous year for the Guevaras, as Che experienced the most significant happening of his youth. On May 2, 1930, Celia brought her almost two-year-old son with her to Club Nautico San Isidro, a local Buenos Aires yacht club that still exists today. The plan was to splash around in the water and swim. Celia used to swim every day, and she gave no mind to the rather cold and windy late autumn weather. Argentine summers last from December to February, and autumn lasts from March to May. The young Che could not handle the cold autumn weather and grew sick and developed a coughing fit. A local doctor would diagnose the condition as asthmatic bronchitis, but the normal remedies did little to help the boy's condition. The young Che had developed a chronic asthma condition, and he would be afflicted by the condition his entire life. In fact, the condition would dictate many of the family moves throughout the rest of his youth. The condition will play such a large role in Che's life that it is unlikely we will go a single episode for the rest of the series without mentioning his asthma at least once. He would be seriously afflicted from the time he was two years old until the final weeks of his life in Bolivia. His mother Celia would forever feel guilty, and both Celia and Guevara Lynch would forever blame her for their son's ailment. It is, however, very likely that the condition was genetic and simply had been latent until the exposure to the cold that day. For the next two years, the family tried a various number of remedies to try to help their eldest son fight the asthmatic condition. Nothing seemed to help, and he continued to have coughing fits that kept him awake and breathless most nights. Eventually, their doctor urged them to move to a drier climate. The prospect of moving back to the Misones province was ruled out as the province was far too damp, and even the area around Buenos Aires too humid for Che to live comfortably. Shortly after the birth of their third child, a boy named Roberto, the family decided to move to the Cordoba province for its fine, dry climate. They eventually took the suggestion of a family friend to live in the small spa town of Altagracia. Altagracia is a city located in the north-center portion of the Cordoba province. In the 1930s, it was a hill resort surrounded by farms and countryside. It had a population of several thousand, and most of them were either independently wealthy or worked in the resorts. The economy of the area created an issue as Guevara Lynch had no applicable skills to help him earn a living. For the entire time the family lived in Altagracia, there are no records that indicate that Ernesto held a job. This left the family dependent on the annual income from Celia's family lands and a smaller income from the yerba mate plantation, which had been left in the hands of a trusted plantation manager. The economic downturn that swept through the whole world during the 1930s did not help the situation, and the yearly revenues remained relatively low. It is most often speculated that the family had to dip into Celia's saved inheritance money in order to make ends meet. But even with the trouble making new money, they were still able to live a relatively stable and comfortable life on their old money. In fact, the couple still gave dinner parties, owned a riding trap and an automobile, took summer holidays, and employed three servants. Ernesto was involved with local politics, and together they made themselves a fixture of the local community. The drier climate of Altagracia seemed to help with Che's asthma attacks, but they never subsided for long and instead just became manageable. It has been theorized that chronic asthma attacks can sometimes be exacerbated or triggered by emotional conflict and stress. In his later life, Che's attacks would often come at times that were extremely stressful. 
As such, his asthma may have worsened as the relationship between his mother and father grew more strained. While they had felt drawn together in the beginning by their kindred spirits, time together had shown Celia and Ernesto had wildly different personalities and sensibilities. The two often clashed because of it. They were both too proud to back down from their own beliefs, and so they began to bicker and often had shouting matches that were loud enough to be heard by the neighbors. It has been suggested by friends of the family that Ernesto may have at times strayed outside the marriage bed and had affairs with other women. The extramarital affairs have never been confirmed and could just be gossip, but that does seem plausible. Because of his sickly nature, Che did not begin attending school until he was almost nine years old. Instead, his mother took charge of his early schooling and tutored him at home. She taught him how to read and write, both in Spanish and French. The personal tutelage allowed Celia to pass down many of her own political and social ideologies to her son. Perhaps it was because of the inordinate amount of time mother and son spent together. Perhaps it was just the natural draw between a mother and her firstborn. Perhaps it was the deteriorating relationship between Celia and the elder Ernesto. Perhaps it was because with Che's constant asthma attacks it was believed that he would die young. Or perhaps it was a combination of all of the above, but Celia seemed to dote on Che more than the other children, and the two formed an unusually strong bond. This continued into his adulthood, but was especially so even when Che was a child. Celia took on the role of confidant and co-conspirator, a role she would play for the rest of her life. Che would go out and play with the boys and girls of Alta Gracia, but his mother would always remain his best friend. The affection between mother and son forced the father-son bond to be weaker, as Che would always side with his mother when the two argued. Further, the appearance of Che as their mother's favorite sometimes caused resentment in his siblings. As such, the children would fight, and at times Che's siblings would torment or attack him physically. Che was not the type of person to take the attacks lying down, and he would fight back. On one such occasion, Che launched himself into a fight with his younger brother and two younger sisters. Though he was the eldest, Che could not overcome the numerical advantage. The three younger siblings won the day when they doused Che's head in cold water and gleefully watched as their brother went into a violent coughing asthma attack. With the asthma attacks being a regular hindrance, it would be natural for a child to become a careful recluse when faced with a debilitating ailment, forced homeschool, and a dysfunctional family life. But the young Che developed a reputation of being somewhat of a daredevil and was a regular fixture in the gangs of local children. Just like the other children, he enjoyed playing games of trench warfare, cops and robbers, and riding his bicycles all around the hilly streets of Alta Gracia. While some like to project his later Marxist views onto the young Che Guevara, the truth is that he did not develop those views until later. Both of his parents were leftward-leaning, his mother even more than his father, which set the foundation for those later views, but the early years did create several defining character traits that would last his entire life. His parents were always very paranoid about his asthma, as such, they kept a very careful diary of his activities in order to attempt to pinpoint the exact cause of his asthma. They would ban him from eating certain types of food, such as fish, that seemed to give him asthma, and encourage him to do activities that seemed to alleviate his asthma, such as swimming. He would often become bedridden when facing an asthma attack, and whenever that happened, he was placed on a very strict asthma diet to help him feel better. Once he felt better, he would gorge himself on all the food he could not eat while he was suffering. He became quite renowned for eating such large amounts of food in a single sitting. The self-discipline Che learned in his early days fighting his asthma served him well his entire life. As a former wrestler, I can definitely appreciate the discipline it takes to deny oneself food and sweets in order to lead to a healthier body. His asthma attacks often led to long periods where he was unable to walk and confined to his bed. While his body abandoned him in those long hours, his mind raced. Che was blessed with an exceptionally active and quizzical mind from a very young age. 
as he could not do much else to satisfy his curiosity during those periods he took to devouring the large guevara family library as an adult che would credit his asthmatic periods as cultivating his lifelong love of reading the only real other activity he partook in while going through his asthma spells was playing chess with his father che's lifelong asthma condition would often leave him vulnerable or force him out of commission but it also helped him develop self-discipline a sense of self-sacrifice opened his intellectual curiosity introduced him to strategy games and forced him to document every aspect of his life perhaps he still would have been destined for greatness without the early development of these important character traits but let's be honest without his diaries and other writings his legacy and fame would be nowhere near as large and far-reaching as they are today whenever che was asthma free the young ernesto was eager to test his physical boundaries and prove he was more than a huffing and wheezing youngster Che loved to play sports, and he participated in soccer, table tennis, and golf. As previously mentioned, swimming seemed to actually help with his asthma, and so he spent lots of time swimming at the Sierras Hotel and various local streams. He enjoyed hiking and was an active participant in the organized rock fights that pitted the child gangs against each other. The child games were sometimes quite mischievous, and it has been reported that Che, as a member of his gang, went around shooting out streetlights with his slingshot, he was also supposedly the mastermind behind settling a score with a rival child gang by defecating on the ivory keys of one of their parents' grand pianos. Despite these couple acts of juvenile delinquency, it seems that the child gangs were a normal piece of Argentine society, and usually the Alta Gracia child gangs were just social networks for children, but sometimes children do do stupid things. At the age of eight, Che's life gained a bit more structure when the local education authorities ordered the Guevaras to send him to school. His mother's tutoring had taught him how to read and write, so he was able to skip first grade, but he entered second grade as the eldest in the class. He attended the primary school at the Escuela San Martín, where he generally received satisfactory grades on his report card. He generally behaved well, but he was at times a bit of a troublemaker. He seemed to behave better when he was able to consistently attend school, but as can be expected, when his asthma attacks kept him out of school for prolonged periods, he would often return as a bit of a handful. Aleda Guevara, Che's eventual second wife, shared a story that Che had told her about his primary school days. Che often found himself being disciplined by the school's headmistress and his third grade teacher. At the time, the preferred discipline was spanking. After a particularly long day of spanking, Che had an idea of how to get even with her and smuggled a brick in his shorts the following day. After he misbehaved, he bent over to receive his punishment and positioned the brick to cover his backside. When she went to slap his backside, she hit the brick instead and hurt her hand. Aleda does not share what the punishment for that was, but I'm sure even if it was bad that the young Che still thought of it as a victory. His primary school years were also filled with stories of how Che liked to show off. Most likely as a way to combat the image of him as a frail boy because of his asthma, Che was always searching for new ways to get attention. Some examples include drinking ink out of a bottle, eating chalk during class, climbing trees in the schoolyard, hanging by his hands from railroad trestles, exploring a dangerous abandoned mine shaft, and playing torero with a ram, torero being the Spanish word for bullfighter. The first real political event to have any lasting impact on Che Guevara was the Spanish Civil War. While he was still a young boy for the duration of the conflict, as the war lasted from 1936 to 1939, his father's involvement and interest in the war combined with the fact that several prominent Spanish families fled the country to the safety of Argentina led Che to feel like he had a personal investment in the war. One such family, the Gonzales Aguilars, became family friends with the Guevaras. The Gonzales Aguilars had children of similar ages to the Guevaras and held similar political beliefs. 
As such, they became easy friends, and the Spanish Civil War was able to become that much more real when given actual faces. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes the Spanish Civil War as a military revolt against the Republican government of Spain. The initial coup failed to win control over the entire country, and a bloody civil war ensued. The war became a battle between the more liberal Republicans and the growing fascist party. The Nationalists, which the rebels were called, received aid from fascist Italy and Nazi Germany. The Republicans, on the other hand, received aid from the Soviet Union and an international brigade made up of volunteers from Europe and the United States. As such, the war became a nice prelude to the growing tensions that would eventually erupt into World War II. For Argentina, though they had declared their independence from Spain over a hundred years prior, the goings-on in their former mother country still held the public's attention. People began to choose sides and join the action committees. Some supported the more democratic Republicans, while there were a growing number of supporters for the fascist nationalists. The Guevaras were firmly on the side of the leftist Republicans. Celia's eldest sister, Carmen, and her two children came to live with the Guevaras for the duration of the conflict. Carmen's husband, Cayetano, was a journalist who was assigned to cover the war. Cayetano would regularly write home describing the carnage he saw around him. The Spanish Civil War was the first large-scale conflict that saw the new methods of tank and air warfare wreak havoc like never before. For art history buff, the Spanish Civil War holds a special place as the German bombing of a Basque city in northern Spain inspired the artist Pablo Picasso to paint one of his most famous works, Guernica. The suffering of the Spanish people was captured in Cayetano's letters home, and they brought a raw impact home to the Guevara family in a way that no newspaper article ever could. In response, Ernesto Guevara Lynch helped found a Comité de Ayuda a la República in Alta Gracia as part of a national solidarity network with Republican Spain. He befriended the exiled Spanish newcomers and regularly hosted them at his house for meals and parties. The exiles often shared their war stories with the whole family. The ten-year-old Che developed a keen interest in the war after being surrounded by people so emotionally involved in the conflict. He followed the developments of the war by marking the Republican and Fascist Army's positions on a map with little flags. He even named the family's pet dog Negrina, partially because she was black and partially in honor of the Republic's Prime Minister, Juan Negrin. The Spanish Republic, however, was not destined to win the struggle against the Fascist Nationalists, and in April 1939 the Republic fell. The news might have been hard to take, but there was not much time to spend in reflection as the Spanish defeat was followed quickly by Germany's invasion of Poland in September 1939 and the start of World War II. We will get a bit deeper into the effect World War II had on Argentina and the Guevara's next time on the Aura of Greatness. We will also explore the rise of Juan Perón and the adolescence of Ernesto Che Guevara. With that said, I hope you enjoyed the second episode of the Aura of Greatness's podcast series on Ernesto Che Guevara. If you'd like to receive updates every time I post a new episode, please make sure you subscribe using your preferred podcast app, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or otherwise. I have recently switched to using Acast as my podcast host. If you'd like to visit the show's official page, you can go to acast.com slash auraofgreatness or to the website at auraofgreatnesspodcast.blogspot.com. I would love to hear from you to know what you think of the show so far. You can let me know by rating and reviewing the show or by emailing me at or of greatness podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the show's community on Facebook for the occasional post when I find something interesting and for your announcements about the show. Okay, I believe that is everything. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Aura of Greatness.